Well, amen to that, that we um, have a Father that's good and present and worthy to um, run after. Um, would you pray with me as we transition into some teaching time and um, ask the Lord for our help as we, uh, as we continue on? Lord, we love you. Um, and, and when we say that, like I say that, it's like the first words of my prayer usually. Um, it's really just a, a song of gratitude that you um, love us. Um, there's nothing that we bring to you, but instead you have brought everything to us. And so I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of that as we um, now transition into uh, just being renewed uh, by your word. And so would you renew our minds? Would you wash us clean? Would you prepare us for your coming through circumstance, but more importantly, through the, sh- the, sh- the assurance that we have uh, in your words? We love you and we're grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, as I mentioned, we are doing a couple of different things today. Um, I'm going to give you a, just a short little, um, just a brief thought on the coronavirus and the Christ. And as we continue on in Lent, Stephen Mishral was already scheduled and preparing for uh, preaching today. And so he is going to bring um, a word out of Matthew 4. And so before we get there, just a couple of reminders of God's faithfulness particularly when we don't see it, when we don't feel it. Um, I'm reminded of that this week, probably more than ever in recent history. I've never, well, we've never had what we're going through. Um, I kind of see on social media this, this kind of um, attitude uh, founded in pride that just says, come on, people, we, we've done this before. No, we never, we've never done this before. We've done hurricanes Um, We've done random floods. Um, We've done a lot of things in this area. We've never done this, Um, not in our lifetime, or at least not in mine. And so um, this is something different. It's something that we need to be paying attention to. And I think the thing that we need to be paying attention to is what's going on in our hearts. Um, Many times discomfort, when discomfort comes, it reveals what we have loved too much. It reveals what's been in our hearts and what's out of order in our hearts. And so um, Lent is this time where we ask and plead with God to reorder our loves and our lives that they may be ordered after his. And I don't know of a better invitation um, as we've walked through Lent to slow down than what is before us. We can't go anywhere. We can barely go to the parks in our neighborhoods. Um, It's like few things that we can do. And God in his providence in his goodness and love for us has slowed the whole world down that we might find something deeper to be attached to than Netflix and activities and sports and the news cycle that will only give us the thing that will, give a, that will uh, draw us to, to watch more. Instead, he's drawing us near to himself. Instead, he is slowing us down. We may have purposed to slow down, but now slowing down has come to a purpose, um, these these purposes and these um, uh, well, the purposes that God is 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 pursuing in us is that we be renewed. What is it that He wants to renew in us? Um, I truly believe that He wants us. He wants all this to kind of reveal in us what we've trusted in. A misplaced hope uh, brings heavy hearts. And we are in a world that's been in a cycle of depression and anxiety in our, in our area alone. I mean, look at this last month. We've, we've dealt with suicide and all sorts of difficulty that has come 
uh, just in our one little section of the world. And now all of a sudden we're all disoriented. We're all shaken from the norm. And you have to wonder, what is it that God is doing? Two things. I think he's calling us to trust in him, to trust in him. And I think we all know that, right? We all go, oh, I should be trusting in him. But let me just renew our minds to the scriptures. First, in Colossians 1, it would say this about Jesus, that for by him, that's Jesus, for by him, all things were created, not just the things that we like, all things that were created um, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That's right. All things were created through him and for him. This that we're going through, this circumstance, is created through him and for him, more importantly. And then in 17, this is the part I wanted you to, to hear. And he is before all things, Jesus, and in him all things hold together. One of my favorite verses when crisis breaks out is that Jesus truly does hold the whole world in his hands. It's not just a children's song. Um, it's the truth of the scriptures, that we are reminded that he holds it all together. We don't have to. And you might ask yourself, like, okay, so I, I get the call to trust. I get the call to believe. I get the call to renew my hope in a God who's holding all this together. He is faithful. We get that. But why, why else? What's, what's in it for us as we continue to call and trust in him? And for that, I want to bring your attention to Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah 17, um, and it says this in verse 7 and 8. Jeremiah 17 7 and 8, it's this passage, this prophet that's speaking to the people that are headed out into exile. Um, and he says this in verse 7 and 8. Love this. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Blessed are you, man or woman or child, who, who trusts in the Lord when we go through all kinds of crazy circumstances. Blessed are you who trust in the Lord. You whose trust is the Lord. Not just that you trust him, but he is our trust. Verse eight, why is that? Why should we trust him? Why is it that God calls us blessed amidst unthinkable circumstance? He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots, roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. Are you feeling the heat? I am. Uh, are you feeling the heat in these days? When heat comes, God's promise is that we would still have green leaves, that we wouldn't wither up and be a dry tree with no root, but instead, if we trust in him, our roots go deep, our green leaves remain green, and then it, look, it keeps going, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. God promises to bear fruit in us if we would walk in the spirit. God promises that he will keep us green in the midst of heat. God promises that if we would trust in him, we don't have to be anxious in times of drought. That's a great reminder for us, not just um, during coronavirus, coronavirus, it probably should be called that, coronavirus season, but through the Lenten season, it's a great reminder for us to be reminded um, that God is going to do what he has always done. He's going to sustain his people. He's going to be with his people, and he's going to bear fruit in his people, provided that his people walk with him. So 
Hey, look, Grove Church, beloved, I know you're scared if the HEB has enough trucks to run in our direction, if they're going to forget about little Richmond. I know you're scared on whether or not you're going to get this, this virus. Like we were praying beforehand, it's not even yet really here. Um, and so like the anxiety and the fear as, as more and more cases start to pop up in our nation, in our area, um, my prayer is that our anxiety and fears wouldn't get worse, but that our trust and our resolve would get better. And yes, we'll be uh, we'll have fear, but it's not going to be in the driver's seat. It's going to be in the back seat where it belongs. Instead, Jesus is driving. Um, he's in control of this thing, and we are here along for the ride as he um, puts us out uh, to, uh, to sail. So my prayer is that we would continue to trust him even amidst times of drought. Um, and so that's it from me. I'm going to come at the end of this and give us a few reminders, but I did want to kind of introduce that time to just get us some, some bearings for what Stephen is now about to bring us out of Matthew chapter 4. So I'll hand it over to him as he comes to teach us out of Matthew 4, as he would normally do during our season of Lent. All right, I think probably the biggest question that is on most of our minds right now and, and that we're talking about with families and, and that we're constantly thinking about is um, how do we use the resources that we have? Uh, what do we do with the finances that we have when we hear about possible jobs uh, slowing down and the economy slowing down and um, toilet paper uh, and food and what do we do with the resources that we have? And that's uh, not only a question that we um, are asking today, but that's also a major question behind Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 4, uh, where Jesus is in the wilderness and where he faces Satan in the wilderness. And so let's just read Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, and then uh, we'll tackle that question and, and see how the gospel applies to this. So this is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's a massive understatement. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so often we read this story and we think that Jesus is uh, doing rent a reference. He is uh, proof texting and then we make the wrong implication and we think the Christian life is, hey, if you're struggling with worry, here's a verse. If you're struggling with lying, here's a verse. If you're struggling with porn, here's a verse. Just get this in your head enough and you can overcome. That's not what's happening at all in Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 4. If we slow down and actually read the context and see what Jesus is doing here, he is actually immersed in something much bigger than Scripture magnet on a refrigerator Christianity. He is immersed in the story of God. And you see this when you, um, you know, the Bible wasn't written with scriptures or with uh, scripture reference and chapters. It, so if we were reading this when Matthew first read it, we would start uh, somewhere a couple, a little, a few statements before this, and we would see in Matthew chapter 3, uh, let's just, if you've got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. 
And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. So um, here is a dramatic shift that has taken place. Jesus is in the wilderness. The baptism happens. He's soaking wet and driven into the wilderness. And so if you just slow down and you look at the language that Matthew is writing this, he's being intentional. There's a, there's a few things in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Matthew writes that Jesus saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. That's not accidental. That is meant by a Jewish author to a Jewish people to ring in their minds Genesis 1, where God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and, and it was void, and, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And what happens? The Spirit of God hovers over the waters like what? A dove, right? So automatically, Matthew is drawing in your mind a Genesis connection, a creation connection. And then Jesus doesn't only see the Spirit of God descend like a dove, but what does it say? And coming to rest on him. That is king language. What does God do? He creates man, he puts him in a garden, and he gives him the command to rest. And when you work through the rest, the, the rest of the story, when you come to the book of Judges, you see guys like Othniel, and you see uh, Samson and Gideon, and the Spirit of God comes on them, and they go to war. That so, so often we think the Spirit is just kind of like, you know, uh, some medicine that we take just to kind of give us all the, just calm down and relax and let's just give peace a chance here. But what Jesus is now, what Matthew is showing us is that Jesus is coming on the scene and he's bringing a new creation and he is a king who is marching forth into war with the Spirit of God. And so... We see this, but we also see in Matthew 3.17, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Sonship language is the language that God applied to Israel in the Old Testament. And so now, what Matthew is saying is, all that God was doing in creation, all that God was doing with uh Kings like David and all that God was doing in Israel is now finding its meaning here in Jesus of Nazareth. And as Christians, we believe Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. And somehow it's a mystery. We don't fully understand how it plays out. But what we do know was that Jesus really has this identity. And all that is in Matthew 3.17 is now taking place and Jesus is leaving this obscure life as the son of a carpenter in an obscure suburban safe village and being driven out into the wilderness. He's leaving his identity as the son of Joseph and now as the son of God. And so we see in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, he is uh, led by the Spirit. Mark says that Jesus was driven by the Spirit. Luke says that Jesus was full of the Spirit. And whatever that means, we uh, can safely say that uh, being led by the Spirit, being driven by the Spirit, being full 
of the Spirit looks like wrestling with the identity that God has for Jesus by immersing himself in the Bible. There's a couple reasons why I say that. God's Spirit always works in conjunction with his word. Always. You are not a Spirit-led person just because you feel good vibes or you feel spiritual. According to the Bible, you were led by the Spirit if you were marked out by the Word of God. Think in Genesis 1. God creates, and what does He do? The Spirit hovers, just like we saw the Spirit hovering over the waters. And what's the next phrase in Genesis 1-3? And God said. And God said. The Spirit always works in conjunction with the Word. And I'll give you a prime example here. If you just let your eyes skim through Matthew chapter 4, verses 4. Jesus is tempted, and he responds, and he, quote, he says, as it is written, he quotes Scripture. When you come to, chap- or to chapter 4, verse 7, Jesus said again, as it is written, and he quotes Scripture. When you come to chapter 4, verse 10 of Matthew, Jesus says, Be gone, Satan, it is written. So the only thing Jesus says that's not directly a Scripture reference is, Be gone, Satan, get behind me, Satan. Everything else is Old Testament Scripture. So Jesus, I believe, has uh, wrestled with this. Okay, God's called. This is the identity that I have. I'm driven out into the Spirit. And what does he do for 40 days? He doesn't just stop eating and drinking. He is immersing himself in the Old Testament Scriptures. And the Bible says he is full of the Spirit. You will never be more full of the Spirit than you are full of the Word of God. So this is what we see here from Christ in Matthew chapter 4. And now the question is this, what kind of son of God will Jesus be with this identity and this power and the resources that he has as the son of God? In this first temptation, the question is, will Jesus use his sonship for solely self-serving ends? Will Jesus be like Adam who used his sonship to cling to his rights? Will Jesus be like Israel, who abused their sonship? Will Jesus be like King David, who abused his sonship and took advantage of others? How will Jesus use these resources? Will he cling to them, or will he trust the Father throughout his life? What kind of son of God will Jesus be? And of course, we see that he's greater than Adam, he's greater than Moses, and he's greater than David. And so what we need to see here, let me lose my notes here. What we need to see is that Jesus, when he's led up by the Spirit, notice he's not simply led by the Spirit, he's led up by the Spirit. What, I think that's purposeful. Only Matthew tells us this. Um, at this point, Jesus has been in the wilderness. He's uh, gone to see John the Baptist being baptized. Uh, right? He's out in the wilderness, and there's a crowd there. And of course, there's some who believe, there's some who are skeptic. And, and Jesus is led up, Matthew says, into the wilderness. So he's not simply led into the wilderness. I believe he's being driven further out into the wilderness and up on a mountain in the wilderness. And this is very, very important because when you come to the book of Deuteronomy, Old Testament, which is that's where all these references Jesus is making in Matthew chapter 4, there's another major Old Testament figure who was also up on a mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 
uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9. You can maybe just write it down and look at it uh, later. But in Deuteronomy chapter 9, let me turn to it. Deuteronomy 9, 9, Moses writes, When I went up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. So stop and think about who we have in this Jesus of Nazareth. We have a dove, right, which connects us to Adam, which says new creation, which now shows us that Jesus is our representative. We have um, the the dove resting on him, which connects us to David, right, which shows a, a Davidic king, which means Jesus now rules for us. And then we also have my beloved son, which connects us to Israel, which shows that Jesus is the true Israel, which means Jesus loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And finally, we have 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness on the mountain, fasting, no food, no drink, which shows us we have a true and better Moses, one who will not only love God, but lead God's people out of exile. And this is important because the way that Jesus is going to use his power is he's going to represent us, he's going to rule us, he's going to love God, and he's going to love people in a way that no one else ever has. And so when Satan comes to him and says, hey, here's here's some stones, Jesus is on a mountain. It's not like, oh, hey, there's a brick like you and I have in our front yard, turn this into bread. Satan is looking at Jesus and saying, hey, there's a lot of stones over here. We're on a mountain, lots of stones. I tell you what, wouldn't it be great if you turn this whole mountainside into bread and you come out of the wilderness and you give bread to those who were doubting your baptism? Oh, better yet, why don't you take this bread from the whole mountainside and go back to Rome and we can overthrow Caesar? Satan is saying, use your power at this point without the cross to accomplish the mission of God. And Jesus says, Man will not live by bread alone, but by the very words that come from the mouth of God. Now I can imagine Satan saying, yeah, that's right, Jesus. That's what I want you to do. I want you to use the mouth of God and turn these things. And Jesus says, no, my mission is not to do this in my own strength, but to trust the one who has sent me. And Jesus will ultimately accomplish this. This is why when you come to Matthew 16, Jesus looks at his boys. He's in a room, much like we are here with Uh, at Lance's house and uh, things the press is on in Matthew 16 and and Jesus looks at his boys and he says, hey, who are people saying that I am? And of course they say, and some say Elijah, some say prophet. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, hey, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're right. Flesh and bones has not revealed this to you, but the spirit of God. And, uh, and then he, of course, tells him to give the keys to the kingdom. In the very next chapter, do you know what happens? Jesus, not even the next chapter, the next section. Jesus tells the disciples, I am going to suffer. I am going to be betrayed. I am going to be killed by the leaders. And do you know what Peter says? Never, 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 Lord, never will this happen. And what does Jesus look at Peter? He says, get behind me, Satan. For you do not have in mind the things of God. And then here's the, here's the applicable part 
or us, that's the last thing I would ever want Jesus to say to me is get behind me, Satan. What I would want to hear Jesus is, okay, Jesus, now if you are the true and greater Adam, you are um, what life is about. You are the true and greater Israel, the true and greater Moses, the true and greater David. You are the Son of God. How do I sign up to follow you, and how do I then rely on you? And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 16. Ready? You're not going to like it. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and die. And right now, Grove Church, if you're listening on YouTube, Facebook, the temptation is, what do I do with the resources that I have so that I can sustain my life? And Jesus says, don't worry about that. Follow after me. You may perish, but not one hair of your head will perish. Right? He knows the details of your life. So, as Christians, here's the reality, church. Here's the reality. We ought to know. This ought not to be a surprise. We ought to know what it looks like for self-denial because Jesus has called us to deny ourselves every single day. Living in a house by ourselves, right, having to worry about resources, should only be... Um, the next application in following Jesus, not something completely foreign in our lives. How do I make this sacrifice, right? Because the call in our lives has always been to deny ourselves and follow after Jesus. And so um, I'll, I'll leave you with this uh, for you who are Christians or not Christians. Not only what will you, um, how, how will you deal with the resources you have, um, where will you find your identity right now in this season of life? Will it be, oh, well, look, I wash my hands and they don't. Uh, I have enough money saved up. The stock market's tanking. Um, all these worries. Or will you find your, your identity as a crucified follower of Jesus rather than a glorified Satanist? Will we find our identity marked by Jesus, because here's the glory of what happens. Jesus succeeds in the wilderness. He trusts God while doing right. He goes to the cross, bears the punishment for our sin. God raises him from the dead, and he does what Adam could not do. He, his first step out of the tomb is in a garden. So where Adam could not succeed in the best of circumstances and was banished out into the wilderness, Jesus starts his ministry in the worst of circumstances Trust God, and God uh, raises him from the dead, and he steps out into new creation. And if you will trust him, coronavirus and death or no coronavirus, and you keep your job, that does not ultimately matter. What matters is, will you find your identity with Jesus and walk with him in a new creation? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful um, that, man, what, what a blessing uh, that we are able to use technology and, um, and to encourage one another and to sing together. And uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, we are not bound by a building. We are not bound by a political party. We are not bound by any of those things. But our identity and our measurement is none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. So we pray that we would honor you um, and be faithful in this season. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.